Hello, Scotty. Hello, Scotty. Are you there for me in my time of need? Hello, Scotty. Oh, you didn't tell me you needed something. <laughs> while you're, while you, I'm asking you for things I need. You're thinking I need you to stop singing. I, but John, I would never ask a man to stop singing. I think that's like a fundamental breach of human rights. Singing, that's singing, true. singing is a well, human right. That's what I believe. It is, yes. But I think that you know, um, shelter from bad singing should also be considered a human right. Otherwise, they wouldn't use like loud, you know, heavy metal music in CIA torture sites. That is true, but is it, you know, this heavy metal music exists because people like it. I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of a thrash metal or anything like that, but I mean, is it, that it, is it just not, it's not that it's thrash metal or whatever, it's the fact that it's consistent, isn't it, like 24 hours a day? Would even, would even the best thrash metal fan want thrash metal 24 hours a day? Probably not, but would the most devoted podcast listener want us to continue this conversation? So maybe maybe we should try and raise some money for charity by saying, okay, we're going to do a 24-hour podcast, and for every $10 we get, or no, as I say, every dollar we get, we'll knock a minute off of it. So if we get enough money, we just won't do it at all. I think this is perfect. Absolutely perfect. I should be in the charity fundraising business. I really know what I'm doing here. You should be. Well, Scotty, 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 would you like me to Scotty, Scotty, Scotty you now, or do you want to speak first? No, John, John, I think our audience uh, look forward to the Scotty, Scotty, Scotty moment, because what could be better in the world than three Scotties? <laughs> Two Scotties. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit like our podcast, shorter the better. <laughs> no, Scotty, 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 I am excited about something I've been working on. Um, uh, you know, I it, it has to do with uh, using the photo library and making on-ball uh, objects conform to protocols that one might not expect. Um, and this has to do with uh, saving QuickTime movies uh, with embedded metadata. So uh, I think friends of the show or enemies of, of the show may know that in a prior life, uh, many lifetimes ago, I co-founded a company that that built, you know, enterprise uh, digital asset management software. So I was steeped in all issues of, of metadata, you know, how you describe and classify uh, media, you know, things, in this case, media, for the purpose of being able to find and regulate and manage them. And one of the the big hotnesses way back when was embedding metadata in digital files so that you could, you know, uh, track them and provide information that would survive them moving from one asset management system to another. So one of the nice things that Memory Miner did is that all the precious metadata you'd have, the descriptive information, the markup, all that kind of stuff uh, is stored in a database and managed by meta, uh, by, by Memory Miner, but it's also embedded in the, the JPEG files, the TIFF files, the Photoshop files, whatever. And uh, that was something that was done so that people could you know, move their investment in, in metadata from one system to another. And it's just, um, it, or in case the, the software company that used to, to write the software that created the metadata went belly up, you might be able to then take your assets, move them to another piece of software and, and move your data forward. So I t- tell you that whole long preamble uh, because uh, PH asset class, and which is the, the, the photos library, you know, top-level container for a photo or a video or, you know, live photo or whatever um, is actually quite powerful because it allows you to be able to, to, you know, um, 
get at under underlying metadata in the file format in the file itself. So in other words, if you take a QuickTime movie and it's managed by your photos library, you can then pull out that metadata and use that metadata to express an AV asset, you know, representing a QuickTime movie as some type of entity in, in some app. And in fact, I've done that. Um, and the way that you end up doing that is that there are some, uh, um, uh, constants which describe different metadata schema. So in other words, QuickTime has a, a schema to be able to say, here's how you get the the producer, the artist, the track name, so on and so forth. There are common ones like, you know, what's a title and, and so forth. Um, and there are enough of these pre-made, uh, you know, constants that you can, you know, quite adequately describe uh, an entity that refers to the, the underlying QuickTime movie. And so then when you do that, you can do something also clever where you say, okay, well, the photos library can contain hundreds of thousands of photos, which is not uncommon now for people who've had iPhones for a number of years. Um, and so out of that mass of, of, of media, you could say, I want to find ones that match these qualifications. So one qualification could be, is it put in a photo album? So it's pretty common for apps that, that work on photos or videos in whatever way. You may have noticed that they will create custom photo albums because there's API for doing that. So then what you might consider doing is saying, okay, well, out of a user's photo library, I would like to get those that are in this album and those who, who whose embedded metadata match these criteria and, and build a, a service that can do that. And that's what I, I did. And um, it all makes sense. Well, it all makes sense to me. It all makes sense uh, if, if, if you want to be able to um, give give your user access to specific media in the photo library in the context, in the context of your app. Um, and so that's why I did it. The implementation of it is still very, very tricky. I don't know whether you used uh, the photos, you know, the, 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 the pH asset class and pH collection and so on and so forth, anything for, for dealing with your photo library. It is very, very powerful, but absolutely everything is asynchronous, which if you need to chain things together, like chain queries together and, and, and whatnot, uh, it becomes a little bit tricky, especially when you're trying to do things like get the thumbnail for a particular photo or so on and so forth. So I've, I've really had, Scotty, I've had to stretch and uh, use all the tricks I could come up with to make an API that's simple to use, even though the underlying implementation is actually pretty complicated. So that's my Scotty, Scotty, Scotty for the morning. It's nice to have you back, John, with your sort of um, <laughs> feeling feeling good about how you are not only producing good things, but, you know, solving problems for the world at the same time. <laughs> I don't know if they're problems for the world, but they're, they're problems for your friendly neighborhood iOS developer. Which, for most of us, is our world, isn't it, really? So That's true. There we are. Yeah. There we are. Well, Scotty, tell me about your world this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think you want to know, really. <laughs> It's Scotty's world. Uh, on a client project um been working on, it is, I'm in a little bit of Cocoa Pod hell. Um, now, personally, I, <laughs> okay. I'm not a fan of Cocoa Pods. This project uses Cocoa Pods for historic reasons. I know lots of people love Cocoa Pods. Um, and... Um, yeah, everything. I, I'm okay, and to be fair, I'm sort of blaming Cocoa Pods um, because the code that's causing me problems is in a Cocoa Pod, and it may turn out that when I solve this, it's not a Cocoa Pod at all. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's um, 
using a CocoaPod with a binary framework in it as an XC framework, and then you just strip out the correct um, architecture from the XC framework at build time so that you only put the, you know, the ARM 64 one in or the IO, um, the 386 simulator or the um, ARM simulator, depending on which machine you're running on. And, uh, you know, it's something has happened that, you know, it builds fine in Xcode, but if you're trying to do an archive, which obviously is a release and does a different sort of stream, or you use the fast lane pipeline we have, it's just doing, uh, it's just failing to find one of these frameworks on a CocoaPod that uh, is fine. Well, it's, it's more complicated now. It's, it works fine until you do anything in the pod file. If you adjust anything in the pod file, you know, I add a new pod, you know, Scotty's amazing print hello world pod, whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, as soon as the pod file changes uh, and the pod project gets regenerated, then it starts failing to find this framework. Um, you know, it, it's a case of tracing through, looking at differences between the project file before and after, and I've totally failed so far. Um, so why has this suddenly started happening? You know, this is partly in, in the release pipeline for this application. Did a release a few weeks ago and everything was fine. Um, nothing has particularly changed, I think. Although, in fairness, I don't think that release added any or changed any CocoaPods, which is maybe so it could have been there longer, this problem, and we just didn't see it. But this is the type of thing that just eats up hour after hour after hour. When when we find the answer, it will be something really simple, something really stupid, or even worse, it'll be one of those ones that just stops doing it and you're not quite sure why. <laughs> um, but there we are. And I don't, yeah, it's... Um, it's frustrating. It's frustrating, but because uh, it's not really progressing the product or fixing the bugs or adding features, it's just trying to make the bloody thing, you know, build and deploy. Um, so yeah, so it's been a uh, it's been a frustrating. This is today. I mean, it's not like I've been on this for days or anything. It's been a problem today. It was reported yesterday by another uh, an engineer who's you know was just trying to add a cocoa pod so there we are that is that is it but i'm not because i don't use cocoa pods on the whole for any of my own stuff and uh try to encourage people not to use it then um it's you know i'm that makes me not not an expert of what's going on either um uh, we do have uh someone who's more of an expert on the team but um he luckily for him is away on holiday <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> Uh, he chose a good time uh, to go, so there we are. That's that's my week. So really, nothing there to teach anybody. Nothing there for anybody to learn. Maybe when I find an answer or what it was, I'll share it. But it's just um, so that was really just a few minutes of uh, of people hearing my frustration. Um, but it does uh, bring me on to something because you know we've spoken many many times about my. Um, sort of general feeling on, um, you know, people's use of open source software. And mm -hmm. it's not that I'm against open source and it's not that um, I think open source is bad or that, um, you know, there are not some really good things out there, but it's people's uh, just random acceptance of anything they just stick into their their, their app. <laughs> Um, and I know some companies have like a, before you can use any open source software, it's got to go through a whole department. But let's be honest, most of the time that's going through legal, not technical. Um, 
more more than anything. So um, I'm not sure how good that is. But um, uh, did you read about the NPM package this week called Node IPC? I did. That's the... <laughs> you're, I think you're referring to the <laughs> let, let's weaponize Node package. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, for people who don't know, this is an NPM package. It's JavaScript. It's nothing to do with iOS or whatever else. But yeah, the point is NPM is just you know, a, a, a JavaScript CocoaPods or Swift Package Manager or whatever else. It is just a, a package management system that allows you to access packages. Uh, and so the author of this Node IPC um, package, which is very popular and um, used in some quite good things, I think Vue.js, um, which is a very popular front-end JavaScript framework, uses Node IPC. Um, and the developer added a and of course the developer has merge rights without going through anything anything else so yeah that's part of way open source works um put some code in there to detect if you were on a russian or a belarus ip address that it, this package would just start randomly deleting files on your disk <laughs> Um, and I'm assuming this was a war protest, and I don't want to get into the war and whatever else. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you've got to, you know, picking Russia and Belarus is a fairly good sign. <laughs> this is a war protest, and this has caused massive arguments in the open source community um, by people of saying that he was really wrong to do this. And uh, yeah, the the problem is here. You know, uh, if you are just allowing packaged code, be it from CocoaPods, Swift Package Manager, um, or whatever, to just auto-update itself um, without you doing any testing of your own, any checking of your own, any reviewing of your own, then, you know, my really blunt answer is, I'm not going to get into whether the developer was right or wrong to do this, because it's that's, you know, beyond that. But if you are just allowing that, then um, it's, you know... Uh, yeah, you deserve what you get, basically. <laughs> um, it's just allowing... Because what you're effectively doing is allowing anybody to put anything into your code. Um, now, I think one of the problems is here is, obviously, a lot of people, when using package managers, use version pinning. So they will just... Uh, uh, pin uh, the version that they want to use because they've done testing on that version. They've, um, uh, you know gone through QA on that version, maybe someone's done some due diligence on the code in that version, whatever it might be, you version pin in your CocoaPods file, your um, uh, package file for Swift, whatever it might be, and um, just, uh, you yeah, know, and do that. But, you know, one of the problems is, and again, this is one of my major problems with um, using open source packages of some form, is open source packages are often the biggest users of other open source packages. And so some of these packages have a pretty big dependency chain of other packages. And so even though you may have pinned um, your the version of this particular package you're using, uh, that package may not have pinned the versions of the packages it's using. And so you're still not necessarily always covered. So this just brings me back to, although you know, I'm making no comment on whether this uh, developer um, was right or wrong or whatever else, uh, if you're know, using open source stuff has a risk to it. 
Um, it, there are consequences. And again, coming back to, I just want to say for the 900th time on this podcast, and we've only done 300 odd episodes, which suggests I've mentioned it three times a um, uh, an episode, uh, that, you know, if you're using open source, understand that problem, understand your responsibility in it, um, you know, and, and, and do what you can. Now, again, you know, one way you could do this is to clone all the packages you want to use. So you can guarantee that that package is not going to update anything unless you tell it to. It's not going to do anything else or whatever else. You know, uh, yeah, unless you know, the, 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 all these things work in a technically different way. So it doesn't really, you know, there's no point making comments on specifics to do it. But there you are. So firstly, I was actually quite amused at what it did. Um <laughs> I was equally amused by the outrage in the open source community of people, you know, uh, hating each other, which is, um, you know, a, a great thing in the open source, the arguments that go on. And, um, and I, felt, I felt a little bit smug that my, um, uh, my constant uh, moaning about using uh, open source packages um, it was sort of, you know, here is a good example of, of, of why I feel like I feel and just makes me feel smug about myself. Well, Scotty, I love it when you get to feel smug about yourself. Um, and I found this—I I found this, this story amusing. And I have to use that word, kind of whatever, in, in quotes because it is obviously very serious. And from from any aspect, you do it, kind of what might have motivated the the people who did it, what the effect was, what the discussion of it was. Um, but it, <laughs> it it reminds you that that though you may think that you live in a world in your own little world. Um, however you define it, it's always possible in, uh, that the, the larger world <laughs> breaks into it. And I think that your your advice is absolutely wise. I mean, I think it's hard to imagine any meaningfully sized software project, private or, or public, that doesn't use some type of dependency management because otherwise you can't move very quickly. And and it comes down to these you know these these cases like this, which then tend to have people who will then wag, wag their fingers like, see, you should never do this, or you should absolutely do it this way. And that's all interesting. The arguments to be made for it, but I, I kind of come back onto it is that the the benefits of of being able to to move more quickly and focus on something that is unique to your project versus you know a networking library or so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's probably worth it, Uh, you know, even given the potential consequences or it's just, it's helpful to have a reminder of what those potential consequences may be. But this reminds me, Scotty, I had a, a Scotty, Scotty, Scotty beast for this episode. If you'd like to hear it, go for it. I mean, yeah, let's, let's, let's get as many Scotty, Scotty, Scotties into the, um, uh, uh, show as we can. Okay. Well, Scotty, 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 speaking of dependency managers and open source projects, would you like to hear my my success uh, concerning Lottie? No. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, yes, I would. I would. Because if if I say no, I've got to find something else to talk about for the next 11 11 minutes. So, so, yeah. Basically, basically, the answer answer is still no, but I'm a complete lazy shite. So, yes, please. Gosh, so mean. No, well, so you, you know, y'all have heard me blather on about Lottie and, and how wonderful it is. It's the the open source uh, um, uh, mechanism for 
uh, embedding animations in your web or iOS or Android project um, where the authoring of the animation is done in, in, in mainstream tools like After Effects or Figma. And it basically uh, is a plugin for these tools which dumps out JSON in a particular format to describe the animation and what its capabilities are and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a boon. You know, if, if you're using animation in your app and this is all vector animation, uh, it's just a wonderful thing. It was originally created by Airbnb number of years ago. We started using it many, many years ago. Um, and I was very proud of, of how we use it, not just for putting animations on it, but basically taking advantage of the fact that the authoring tools could have structured metadata. There's that word again. Uh, to describe the animations and we could look for that structured uh, metadata and be able to do interesting things for it, like making animations fully accessible to voiceover. So, you know, we have a thumb rating system in our app, um, which allows you to say, did you like it or did you not like it? And that animation uh, in iOS is done with Lottie and it goes through many different phases. And in order to uh, make it work with voiceover. I looked for data in the in the Lottie file itself, in the JSON file, to be able to say, oh, okay, this is a tappable area and it's visible on screen now or it's relevant to this point in the animation. So let's be able to describe it and allow voiceover to navigate that. I'm incredibly proud of it. Um, and it, it's, it's something that I wrote, you know, a number of years ago in, <laughs> at that time, my preferred language, <laughs> Objective-C, and there came a time when the Lottie project announced saying that, you know, we're, we're getting to the point where um, we're no longer going to be able to support the old Objective-C version. You know, so as soon as Swift became, you know, popular and, and, and starting to be used, you know, for compatibility's sake, you could, you know, you could, you could take your Objective-C code and expose it to the world of Swift. And that was great. And you could, you know, take your, when you had hybrid code bases, it was, it, it was and still remains possible to, uh, make Swift classes and, and functions available to the Objective-C side uh, with some important buts. And, and, you know, some of those buts have to do with things that exist in the world of Swift, which just are fundamentally incompatible with the world of Objective-C and, and vice versa. And at some point, the, the, the Lottie project team decided that there's so much goodness, for example, in the uh, decodable protocol uh, for dealing with JavaScript that made it so much easier, so much faster to deal with things that, you know, they, they wanted to be able to do that. And I, and I get it, you know, parsing any text-based uh, data, even if it's structured like JSON, you know, it's, it's, it's easy except for the edge cases and the edge cases can take up lots of time. And, and so I, I get why, why it makes sense for them to make that decision. The, the, the long and short of it is, is that, you know, it's, it's possible for longtime uh, users of Lottie in their projects to basically, you know, be using an old version of Lottie. And that was the case with us. And of course, with the good open source projects that are actively developed and used and expanded and improved upon, there became new features that were available um, that were reflected in the in the JSON files output by, by these tools that use these plugins um, that aren't available if you're using an ancient version of the library. And so people would think, oh, well, that's just easy. All you have to do is upgrade and use a new version. It's like, well, no, <laughs> because if you have a mixed base, you know, if you have, you know, code that that's, yes, it's old, it's three or four years old, which I suppose in a software project term is considered ancient history, but in a practical big shipping app, you know, three, four, five year old code or more is perfectly valid. It's been running, it's been tested, it's been debugged. So, um, and I had to deal with that this past week because uh, we came across some animation for a new project that we're working on where we needed to take advantage of these these more modern features and it was like hmm 
how do I do that? So basically, do I rewrite all the Objective-C code, which used the old Lottie, you know, APIs, uh, and, and then move all forward with the new Swift ones or do something else? And so scratching my head and searching to, to, to see what other people did, I came across a technique, which I think is pretty good, which is basically you could write uh, a Swift class, which implements an Objective-C compatible API. Um, and, and so you can make it work with your, your older code, but then the newer Swift code will use the new Swift API and everybody and everything is happy. And, um, that's what I did. And I, it's not something I'd done, uh, before and it turned out okay. And I'm, I'm proud of it. It made it work. So Scotty, that was my other success this week. You've had a very successful week, haven't you? I did. I, I'm like, you know, the world's falling apart. <laughs> but at least I've been, and you know, on, on that point, I mean, you know, we'll, yeah, I can talk briefly about it. It's like, I, I, I personally find in these times where, where you think, oh my gosh, there's Corona, there's war, there's this, there's that. Um, sometimes for my own personal sanity, I need to be able to, 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 to make something work where I can, because I can't, I can't change everything and I can't change a lot of things outside of it. And I can, but I can at least kind of feel like I have some type of control. And I think in some ways, that's why a lot of people do get into software because it allows you to play in a universe, which you can design and you can set the rules for, and you can, you can operate in, you know, that doesn't mean you should do that to the exclusion of all else that goes out on the world. But sometimes, you know, we are, humans are, are strange creatures. And, and in order to, to keep moving, sometimes we need to be able to, to focus on something that we can have control over. That's my philosophy for the moment. And a good one it is too. So I just want to talk about something now that really has nothing to do with development other than it's, um, it's based on analyzing data. And I guess that's something that most of us can be fairly familiar with, that we analyze data about the usage of our apps or, or the way users go or whatever else. And um, this is a little bit topical and I need to get it in today, otherwise it's too late, because this actually concerns the Oscars um, that are coming up this weekend. Uh, it's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the Oscars is a farce of a thing. Of It's, you know, um, it's a mock of a sham uh, of a trap. Uh, overprivileged people congratulating themselves on doing something, <laughs> you know, with maybe a slight social conscience before they take their forty-five million for being in it and buy another swimming pool. Um, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but um, uh, I, uh, in a Slack channel I'm in today, there was a, a link to an, an article, a research paper. Um, which was analysing uh, the likelihood of a movie to win the Best Picture Award based on the number of coughs or sneezes in the movie. Um, and it was, uh, it, it's a fairly detailed paper. It probably takes 15, 20 minutes to read. It's, uh, it's quite a lot, and it uses lots of analytical data um, about uh, about um, the, and, and shows that uh, um, different movies have different numbers of coughs and over time, um, yeah, and, and, and the number of coughs that is considered uh, the most favourable by audiences and, and the Academy that vote for this thing does shift a little bit over time, but tends to like shift slowly and, and be in there. And... Um, just shows how movies that fit within uh, the cough geist of how many, yeah, what is the right number of, of coughs in a movie, um, uh, sort of works out being a winner. And then there's always some outliers. Um, and equally, it, it does a quite an interesting section on how um, having too many coughs in a movie, in other words, putting coughs in a movie unnecessarily in order just to, you know, try and win an Oscar, um, is not going to work because too many coughs can have... Um, 
uh, uh, you know, other effects as well. Um, and there is quite an interesting um, section um, uh, going in there. Um, I think it's, oh, of course, the genre of the movie makes a difference as well. So this data analyzes, you know, the, the number of coughs in the genre of the movie um, is is also important. So different type of movies, so like, for example, a thriller, uh, the number of coughs needed in a thriller to make it stand out are different to the number of coughs in um, something like a, uh, you know, a, a romantic comedy or something. Um, I think my favorite section of the report is the section called The Batman Effect, um, where it shows that um, having an actor... Um, in the movie that has played Batman is worth two coughs um, in, in the movie itself. Uh, unless yeah, unless the movie can already contains a number of coughs, in which case that is um, uh, taken out of it. Or if the movie, of course, is Batman itself, uh, that doesn't that. Or, of course, if the movie mentions Batman anyway, the effect goes away. But otherwise, if it's got an actor who played Batman or maybe will play Batman uh, in it, then that seems to... That seems to um uh do it so basically at the end of this report it, it um wants to uh predict that um based on the Kofgeist, uh basically this year the the best movie is going to be won by either june or licorice pizza uh as both those films have two coughs in it used in a dramatically sensitive way um and uh yep yeah, therefore uh they could say, you know, they think June will win based on, on this cough, guys. So next week we will find out if this report was worth 15 to 20 minutes of my time uh, reading. I will put a link for it in the show notes. But I think, yeah, this is a demonstration of how if you take raw data and you look at it carefully and um, you, you, you do your proper analytics on it, um, good things can come. <coughs> So there we are. Oh, so, oh, sorry, I oh, sorry. Like the reason think... I, the reason I raise this is I'm wondering: is there an optimum number of Scotties in a podcast to get us to win some form of podcast award? And well, have Scotty, we Scotty, have we Scotty. have we today now with nine Scotties at least in there, sort of just gone too far? Well, Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. <laughs> I'd like to thank God, my agent, <laughs> my colleagues, Amy Lionheart, for the honor of Academy Award for best podcast that goes on and on about nothing that few people, if any, ever want to hear about, and and even fewer are willing to put up with. There we are. Well, okay, maybe we should do everyone a favor and just uh, just get out of here now. So, um, John, I'm glad you've had a successful week. Thank you for sharing um, something that is. Um... Uh, relevant to our users and uh, well i guess maybe my npm rant oss rant would be useful to some people to open their eyes if they've never heard it before but um john this show without you would be only half a show (laughs) thank you scotty (laughs) so john if people want to uh, thank you for your um uh, your contribution this week where should they do that well, they should find me on the place where, you know, it's nothing but a sea of, of gratitude and thanks for jobs well done. And that's Twitter, where you'll find me as Jembe, that's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And Scotty, if people want to get more sage advice about how to avoid blowing up their own personal universe by linking to the wrong package at the wrong moment, where might they do that? They can do that also on Twitter, John, where no one's ever put links to the wrong package at the wrong moment. Uh, at all where I am Mac Devnet. 
Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, if you're going out now to put money on June to win the best picture at the Oscars, don't blame me if it's wrong. Maybe we missed a cough or two in there somewhere that we didn't see, or, you know, the cough geist is moving this time. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening, and until next time. You take care. Take care.